Good morning and welcome. Yeah. How are you doing today? Good little feedback. I like it. 10 o'clock. Is not, how are you doing at home? Look, look quiet. They're in their pajamas, right? They're still, still in pajamas. You know, there was a teenager who had just gotten his driver's license, and he approached his dad, and he said, Dad, I think I'm ready to borrow the car. And dad said, well, son, I got three things for you to do before you can borrow the car. I want you to get your grades up. I want you to read your Bible every day. And son, I need you to cut that long hair. And the son said, okay. A couple weeks went by, and the son walked up back to his dad, and he says, dad, I'm ready to borrow this car. I'm ready. And dad said, well, son, you did, you did good. Your grades are up. Uh, I can see you've been reading your Bible. But, but son, like, your, your hair's still long. And the kid says, well, dad, I got, I got, I've been reading my Bible. And it strikes me that, you know, Moses had long hair. Samson had long hair. Jesus had long hair, Dad. Dad looked down and said, yeah, son, and they walked everywhere they went. (laughs) (laughs) And I tell you that because today's sermon, we're looking at a place in the Bible where Jesus goes on a road and doesn't walk. This is the only time we see him doing this. He rides a donkey. And there are some significant things happening in today's uh, message that I think many of us aren't aware of. I wasn't aware of. And so even if this scripture of the triumphal entry is, is familiar to you, you may have seen it on the movie, you know, Jesus and he's on the donkey and they're yelling, Hosanna. Even if this is familiar, my prayer is that by the end of the day, you're going to be challenged, you're going to be inspired, and you're going to learn something new from God's word. Now, just to recap, for those of you who have just joined us, uh, we have been going through the book of John, and we're now in John 12, so we've been doing this a while, but Jesus has just come from raising Lazarus. He's had his feet anointed with oil, and now he begins what is his final journey to Jerusalem. So let's pick up in John 12, where we are this week, verse 12 and 13. The next day, a great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, and they shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. You know, all four gospels have this triumphal entry, and and Luke fills in some other details. It says they brought a donkey to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on the ground in front of him. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road was, goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God with loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So here we have it. We have this donkey ride, and we have people doing some curious things. They're laying down their cloaks. They're waving palm branches. They're chanting. And we, we, if you know this story, you kind of go, okay, I see this is, how, this is what's happening. But have you ever stopped and asked why? Like, what's going on here? Through our Western eyes, we, we, have, we have Palm Sunday. And many of you in your, in your traditions of your past, you've been at a church where you waved palm branches. I actually went to a church as a kid one time. I was a guest there. And someone grabbed me out of the pew, handed me a palm branch, and told me to, to start running around the, the service yelling, Hosanna. So that was one of my introductions to that. But we have our Palm Sunday. But what's happening here? You see, Jesus isn't simply traveling to Jerusalem for Passover. Under the surface, this donkey ride is loaded with prophecy and culture and tradition and revelation. In in, in this event, the location matters. The day matters. 
and the way Jesus did things. They all matter. We have many streams of prophecy coming together. We, uh, we got Jesus. He's on a donkey. He's headed toward Jerusalem. It's Passover week. So let's start with the, the location. You know, Jerusalem, the city of David. David made this his capital. And you can't read the Bible without seeing what God has done in and around Jerusalem. Throughout the Bible, it's the, it's the, it's the setting for much of his work. And here in John, people, people are flocking to Jerusalem during this. Not just because it's a holy city, but because this is the holy week of Passover. Many scores of people would be traveling the road, the same road Jesus is, on their way to make it to Jerusalem for Passover. In fact, there was a, there was a census. An ancient historian, Josephus, he writes about this. There was a census, and the priests counted how many Passover lambs were used that year. And they, this is how many lambs. 256,500 recorded by the Pharisees' priests. That's how many lambs were used for Passover, which means each of those, Josephus did the work for us, he said those family units, and not just mom, dad, and kids, like, like aunts and uncles and grandparents. The family unit back then was a little different. And so if each of those lambs has a family unit, he guessed conservatively it would be 10 people per lamb, which means there was well over 2 million people flooding Jerusalem for Passover. The city is just, it's just bustling with the chaos and the noise and the anticipation of this festival. And Jerusalem is filling it, and we have Jesus riding a donkey on the very road with many of these pilgrims, throngs of pilgrims. And what, what time is it? It's Passover. Eight-day celebration marking the emancipation of the Israelites from, from the slavery in ancient Egypt. In Hebrew, it's called Pesach, and Pesach means the Passover. Remember, because God passed over the Hebrew houses and, and saved their firstborns, and a lamb had to die for this to happen. By the lamb's shed blood, that was the key to, to that family being saved and not perishing. The Pesach lamb, the Passover lamb, had to be a male, had to be one year old, and it had to be without blemish. Couldn't have any blemishes, and it would be slain on the eve of Passover, it was a big night. That was a big night, the holiest night. But the Pesach lamb was something each family would become familiar with because four days before the eve of Passover, they would have lamb selection day. And on lamb selection day, you'd go to the market or the shepherd or the temple and you would, you would look over the lambs and you would see if there was a blemish and you would take that lamb and take it home with you and you'd get familiar with it for the next four days. The entire week of Passover was filled with events and themes and holy readings and traditions and rituals and foods and gatherings and oh, so much meaning. And, and the final two days of Passover are focused on the coming of the Messiah who would come someday. I mean, the final Passover day was focused on Isaiah 11, which is a descript description of the prophecy of the Messiah to come. And so if you've been with us through the through book of John, you've seen that these festivals, they have twofold meaning. We're looking back and remembering what God has done and thanking him. But in every one of these festivals, we're also looking forward to what? The coming Messiah. We're remembering with gratitude and we're looking ahead with hope. So there's always anticipation about the Messiah. And especially there was anticipation that he would reveal himself during Passover. This holy week, when every, I mean, everyone's there, that he would reveal himself during a Passover. 
And Jesus, on top of all his healings, on top of all his teachings, and remember, he performed the three messianic miracles, which the, the priests believe only the Messiah could, could do. And that was cleansing a leper, casting out a mute demon, and healing a man born blind. He had, he had done the three messianic miracles and, and news of that spread. And then, a couple weeks ago, he heals Lazarus, who'd been dead for more than three days. Something that no human could do. And so the, the scuttlebutt, the, the rumors, they're, they're flying. There's a buzz about Jesus. Who is he? Who's his identity? What's he going to do next? What's the future? And the question on many of their minds, is this the Messiah? Could he be the one I mean, at this point, the religious leaders, they want him dead. The political zealots, they want him to throw off Roman oppression. The needy just want him to come through and keep healing. We have the hopeful, the hopeful that he is the Messiah. We have the doubters who are, who are just waiting to see what he does next. Not quite convinced. We have the masses. They all know his name. They've heard of his works. They've heard of, his, they've heard of him. We find Jesus traveling towards Jerusalem. And the, with all these multitude of pilgrims, and in fact, there are people there waiting to see if he's going to come. John eleven fifty five. Now the Passover the, of the Jews was near, and many went up to, to Jerusalem out of the country before the Passover to purify themselves. So they were seeking for Jesus. They're seeking for him. They're looking for him. And they were saying to one another as they stood in the temple, what do you think? That he will not come to the feast of all? Like, like, they're, like it's buzzing all the pilgrims, these people, like, they go there, and, and they're like, is he coming? What do you think? Is Jesus, Jesus going to show up? You, you, you heard what he did over there in Bethany. You heard about that Lazarus guy. Oh, did you hear about the, the man born blind? I know, I was there. I mean, the whole place is, is buzzing. They're waiting for him, wondering to see if he's coming, wondering to see what he will do. Because he's had three years of ministry. And you, you read the Gospels and see all the things that he has done and the things that aren't included in there. They're wanting to know, is this the Messiah? There's no one in Israel who hasn't heard of Jesus. His teachings are spreading. They're wondering, if Jesus comes to Jerusalem for the Passover, could this be the year? Could this be the time? Could this be the Passover where it finally happens? The whole Old Testament points to one person. Could it be him? Is now the time? Will he rise up like King David and, and throw off this pagan government and lead our nation back into what we want? So there's drama infused in this Passover week. This is what Jesus is writing into. He's not just writing into a religious uh, holy week. He's writing into where he is the talk of the town. People are waiting in the temple to see if he's coming. He arrives at, at Bethany where he has recently healed Lazarus, and all that buzz is still spreading about Lazarus. In fact, crowds of people, they hear he's in Bethany. Check this out. They leave Jerusalem where they're pilgrimaging to, to go see Jesus and Lazarus. John 12, 9. The large crowd of the Jews then came, they learned that Jesus was there in Bethany. And they came, not just for Jesus' sake, but also to see Lazarus from whom he raised from the dead. Like, they want to see if it's true. Is Lazarus really walking around? Like, is he eating is he laughing? Like, can I just brush up against and touch and make sure this is real? I mean, they, they, they want to they see Lazarus dead after four days. Because in their culture, no one, there's impossible to come back from, from the dead after three days. And so they see Lazarus walking, a walking billboard of Jesus' miracle. Like, just a walking billboard. And then they look at Jesus, the one who did it. Like, surely this is the one, right? This is the one we've been waiting for. 
It was causing so much commotion that in John 12, 10, we read, the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. As well, it means they've already planned to kill Jesus, but now they want to kill Lazarus as well. For the, on account of him, many of Jews were believing and going to Jesus and believing in him. On account of all these things, people, even some of the rabbis and priests, are going to Jesus and believing that he is who he says he is. All of this, I just want to give you some context. All of this is boiling under the surface this final holy week that we're going to be studying. He leaves Bethany, he's with his disciples and all these throngs, and they, everybody wants to see what he's going to do next, and so he travels to the next little village of Bethphage. It's the final town before the capital of Jerusalem. And Luke's gospel gives us an account uh, of what Jesus said. He tells his disciples, go get me a young donkey to ride. Now, when has he ever ridden a donkey before? Right? Like, what, 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 he doesn't do anything by accident. What's he doing here? Why does he, why does he want a donkey why now? Why here? Why on the outskirts of Jerusalem? Why Passover week? Uh, under no certain terms, we're going to see that Jesus is going to declare himself Messiah again for the umpteenth time. Remember that the Hebrews in this, in this culture, they grew up as children learning to read from the Torah. They didn't have those readers or see spot run. No, no, they grew up reading the Torah. And then they were schooled in the Torah. The Tanakh, the Old Testament, many of them had a working understanding of that was their, their culture. And in fact, because of all the festivals we've talked about, they had so many messianic understandings of prophecy and where the, where the Messiah would come and what it would look like. So they know their Old Testament. If anything, like, like, like they have an, a working understanding of the messianic prophecy. Prophecies. So when Jesus sits on a donkey and begins to ride towards Jerusalem, we have to ask why. So let's read the prophet Zechariah, 500 years before Jesus. Zechariah 9 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous, blameless, and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus got on that donkey in Bethphage, those, those who were already looking to him or seeing something unique about him, messianic, alarms began to go off in their head. Zechariah. He's not just riding a donkey because his feet are tired. Like he's fulfilling a 500-year-old prophecy. I mean, this might as well for some have been a banner over him. It's me. I'm the Messiah. I mean, all the things that I've been doing, all the miracles, all the signs, all the stuff, and now I'm riding into Jerusalem, Passover week on, the, on a donkey. And for those who wanted Jesus dead, the religious elites, the Pharisees, they memorize the Old Testament. They know what, they see what he's trying, and this is just gas on the fire of their anger. But, but there's, more, there's more going on here. You see, Jesus rides from Bethphage towards Jerusalem. And all of, you, all of you know that that's riding from the east, correct? We don't have to go into that. Um, it's easy to gloss over, but, but this means something. For us, the directions are, they are what they are. But in the Old Testament culture and minds of Jesus' time, east meant something. In their culture, it was the belief that east was the direction from which God's presence always ushered into Jerusalem. And there are countless verses. There's whole studies on this. I don't, I don't have time to do a seminar and tell you all the different ones. I'm just going to list some of them. The Ark of the Covenant entered the first time from the east. When Solomon built and completed the temple, God's presence entered from the east. Ezekiel's vision, God's presence, leaves to the east where they wait for it, and then it comes back from the east. Ezekiel 43, I was brought to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the Lord or God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like a roar of rushing waters, and land was radiant with his glory. The glory 
glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. The prophet Isaiah declares the Messiah will come out of the wilderness from the east. Jewish tradition, would, when they would leave the eastern door of the temple open just in case the Messiah wanted to enter the temple. Zechariah also prophesies that the Messiah will stand to the east on the Mount of Olives and judge the people at the end of time. And Joel and Zechariah both agree that when Messiah does come again in victory, that he will come from the east. This is such a belief and such a part of their culture that there was actually, there is actually a burial ground to the east of Jerusalem on the Mount of Olives. Mount Olives Cemetery, you, you go look it up. I, I, I did some research there. It is one of the oldest cemeteries, burial places in the world, back to kings and rulers in, 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 of the Hebrews. And, and, and notable, special, and important people are buried there. I actually went and saw how much it costs to get buried there now. And because of the limited space, it's $25,000 just to have your application submitted. And then there's a whole vetting thing. Like, like, why is it so special? Well, because all the Old Testament writings, all the things about God it, coming back and coming from the east and standing on the Mount of Olives in judgment, all those things, they believed that, that when he comes back, we're going to be on the eastern side of that mountain, and we'll be the first ones resurrected. They wanted a front row seat to the end times. So there, that's, that, that, that cemetery is there just for that reason. When God's presence would come, it would come from the east. When the Messiah comes, he'll come from the east. And, and one sage wrote this. He said, if Jesus come on a white war horse from the west with an army, they would have known he wasn't the Messiah. But do you see that something's happening here in the triumphal entry? He gets on a donkey, and they respond in a way. Something's interesting happening here. And by the way, this, this is for free. I just want to add this in here. And when, when Jesus was resurrected, he, um, he, he resurrects, and he goes up to the Mount of Olives after, with his disciples, and he's about to ascend, right? And he ascends into heaven. They watch him go into heaven, and an angel is there who says, in the same way he is left, he will come. And people have always thought, oh, of course, that means he's coming from the sky. But there's a double meaning, and many of the sages believe that what they're saying there is from the same direction, from the same way he left. We will look someday and see him break the sky and come back. There are those who believe in that double meaning. The same way he left, he'll return. And so here's Jesus from Jericho to Bethany to Bethphage, and then he comes down the Mount of Olives on a donkey. He's not, fulfilling pro he's not just fulfilling prophecy. He's coming in the manner, in the way of a Messiah. And he does this. The Gospels all agree. All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all agree about what the people are saying and what they're doing. John 12, 13 says, they're saying, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Now, it strikes me that he was being declared king here. All four Gospels have this kingliness that either they're declaring him. That he's declared king of the Jews. And so when the, when the Romans put king of the Jews over him on, on the cross, listen, they're not mocking Jesus. They're mocking the people who had the audacity to believe that he was the king of the Jews. What Rome was saying was, this is what we do to your kings. This is what we do to your kings. It was to mock the people who believed that. So then we go back to the people who are chanting, Mark, the book of Mark, Hosanna, blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Luke, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And so we have to stop and say, what are they actually declaring here? We've seen the movies, we've read this before, but what are they declaring? The king has come. The king has come. The king is here. And what about this word Hosanna? It literally means save us. 
Save us, please. We beg you to deliver us. Save us, Lord. The king has come. Save us. The king has come. But look deeper at the history, and it reveals a lot more with this word Hosanna than just save us. You see, Hosanna and the palm branch had evolved to be something that they, in the Hebrew culture over the last couple centuries, just the last two centuries before this in Jesus, the palm branch in Hosanna had evolved to mean something. Because you see, before this, and we've mentioned this perhaps, the Jewish people were under the thumb of, of a pagan ruler, and Judas Maccabees and his soldiers came in and retook Jerusalem and cleansed the temple. They captured it and they threw off the, the, the oppressive pagan empire. And listen to this verse from 1 Maccabees 13.51, written two centuries before Jesus. On the 23rd day of the second month in the, 20, in the 171st year, the Jews entered it with praise and palm branches because an enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. The palm branch had become a symbol of the resistance. The palm branch was a symbol of freedom from oppressive armies. Save us. The king has come. Don't, like, I'm not, they're not saying save by soul. They're saying save us from Rome. I mean, these people are there. They're laying down their coats. He, he's on a donkey. There's throngs. There's crowds. They're saying Hosanna. Uh, they're waving palm branches. What they're not saying, once again, is that there he is, the Messiah. I bet he's going to die for our sins. He's going to make a way for, uh, for humanity to, 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 to not live in sin and shame and death won't get the final word. There's our Messiah. No, no, no. They're saying there's our king. Save us from Rome. Return this nation back to the way we know it should be. Be our military Messiah. Be our conquering king. Hosanna is a political slogan, meaning save us from our oppressors, the Romans. There's our king, Hosanna, waving a palm branch. What's happening here is not the Christian Palm Sunday that we know when we declare the Lord. This is a legitimate political rally. Now, it doesn't mean we need to change our traditions with Palm Sunday. We declare him Lord. They were declaring him mighty, the, the military Messiah, the conquering king. They're shouting, save us. They're shouting, save us. And what's so amazing is the same people shouting, save us, in just a few days, will be shouting, crucify him. Crucify him. Many lying their cloaks down at his feet now will be spitting on his feet as he walks through town with a cross. How could they turn on him? How do you get from the triumphal entry, Hosanna, there's my king, to crucify him? Crucify him. How do you get from saying Hosanna because you believe that this person could be the Messiah? Well, it's because he wasn't the Messiah they hoped he would be. He didn't come through as the Messiah the way they wanted him to come through. They realized that he wasn't going to defeat Rome, that he wasn't going to come through and turn their nation back to God. They believed he was the Messiah from the lineage of David, a military ruler who would sit on the throne of David and restore it to its, its, its glory. They were waiting for a conquering king to throw off the chains of injustice and put them back in their rightful place. Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the king. And when he rode into town on a donkey from the east, after all the miracles, all the signs, all the teachings, surely this is our military Messiah. Surely this is the conquering king. It's the Passover. Now's the time. It's gonna happen. We can almost feel it coming. Prepare yourselves, because it's happening. Rome's gonna, it's happening. 
But we see once again that Jesus refused to fulfill their expectations. He was on mission for something far greater, far larger than defeating the Roman Empire. He was here to defeat sin and death once and for all. He was here, to, he was here so that death would never get the final word. And within the next week, they would see him go from a Messiah on a donkey with, with robes of freedom to, to wearing bloodied, torn robes. You can, you, can, you can almost see their confusion as they go, wait, the conquering king wears a crown of gold, not a, not a crown of thorns. We, we thought this was our king, but they are beating him, and it, he's not even recognizable anymore. The Bible says he wasn't recognizable. When your conquering king and your military messiah gets beaten that bad, publicly humiliated, you can see their confusion. You can see the disappointment. This, is not, this man is not who we thought it was. This man is not who we thought he was. This is not who we thought it was. And, and the moment Jesus made it clear or it became clear to them, he was not going to throw off Roman rule and, and, and fulfill their political agenda, social agenda, uh, national agenda, whatever it is that the different factions had, they had no more interest in Jesus as Messiah. He was, he was not who they hoped he would be. And they were correct. They were right. You see, they're waiting for the conquering king. They're waiting for him to come with God's power and, and have, with justice and judgment in his wings to punish the pagan sinners, to restore the nation to, to, to its rightful place, to bring happiness, to bring peace finally to the land, to establish the kingdom. They were looking for that Messiah. And here's, here's the funny part. Jesus is that Messiah. He, he really is. In some ways, he is who they thought he was, but, but not yet. Not yet. You see, he will come again. He will come from the sky with a legion of angels. He's not going to come in swaddling clothes. He's going to come clothed in fire. He's not going to come riding a donkey like Ezekiel said. He's going to come riding a white horse like Revelation says. He's going to come again. He, he won't come with humble declarations. He's going to come with a, a trumpet blast. And he's not coming as a little helpless baby. He's coming as a divine king. It's happening. But before he comes, before he comes as that conquering Messiah, he first had to come as a suffering savior. Or as Isaiah said, the suffering servant. You know, see, someday Jesus will tear the sky. But first, it was Jesus who had to be torn apart. He had to lay down his life. He had to lay aside his crown to die for the sins of all people who would come to him. They wanted a conquering king. They wanted a military Messiah. And he came as a suffering savior. So when they yelled, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us, they were yelling the right thing. He had come to save them, but just not in the way they wanted. And how does this apply to us today? How do we apply this to our lives? I fear that many of us have come to see Jesus as the people in John 12 see him. I believe in our culture, especially Western American culture, we've, we've come to see Jesus in a lot of ways that those people there yelling Hosanna saw him, the, the type of Messiah that we want him to be. You know, most of us aren't looking for a military Messiah, but we are looking for a success savior to help us get ahead. Well, some of us aren't looking for a conquering king, but we're looking for a comforting king, make our life easier, 
I would guess so many of us view Jesus as the safety savior. And I talk to a lot of people who, who have said, that I keep up my end of the bargain. I, I, I love Jesus and I go to church and I read my Bible and Jesus keeps me and my family and especially my kids safe. That's a safety savior. In fact, some preach and believe that Jesus died so that we wouldn't have to get sick, so that we wouldn't grieve. And there are scores of churches that say, if you just have faith in Jesus, you'll be rich. You'll be healthy. And he wants you to be happy. And I just want to say something. Jesus' primary concern with your life is not your happiness. It's your heart. It's your character. It's your holiness. There's, is Jesus, listen, we ask Jesus to save our company, make us rich, to give us nice things, protect us from evil, protect our loved ones. We pray for that. And we should pray for those things. And he may come through in those ways. But many of our culture are waving palm branches saying Hosanna to a Jesus that they hope makes them happy. But we don't find that Jesus on the back of a donkey. We don't find that Jesus on a cross. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for those things. We pray for God to help our companies. We pray for God to protect our loved ones. We pray for God to, to, to heal our disease and, and, and protect us from harm. We pray for that in the name of Jesus. And, and we believe he does bring healing and give wisdom and peace. And by his spirit, we are even infused with the very power of God. But the primary mission of Jesus, the saving Messiah, was not our success. And the primary mission of Jesus is not that he would come and make us happy. And that right there is ground zero for why so many Christians are disappointed. Because we believe in a Jesus that's supposed to make us happy, supposed to protect us from harm, supposed to make us successful. And when he doesn't come through or in some of those ways or the worst, hit, the worst of the worst tragedy or something hits our lives, well, where was the safety savior? Where's the success savior? Where's that happiness Messiah that I've been following? Perhaps he's not coming through like you'd hoped. Perhaps we yelled Hosanna to a savior who we thought would make us happy, but he came to ask us to be holy. Perhaps we enjoy that we would, he, we, we enjoy that he would lay down his life for us. And maybe just like the people here in the triumphal procession, we, we're willing to lay our coats down for him, but, but but he has to lay our life down for him. One last insight on the triumphal entry I just wanted to put in here because it was just too cool to leave out. And then we'll close. Jesus didn't do anything by accident. You're beginning, there's some things that he does we don't understand. I can't wait till heaven to see why he did these things. But here he, he, he rides a donkey into Jerusalem and he does it for a reason. He's saying something here. He's coming from the east. He presents himself. What day does Jesus present himself to Jerusalem? The day matters. You see, it's four days before Passover. On this very day that Jesus presents himself to, to, to Jerusalem, every pilgrim head of the household would be going to the temple and the market or the shepherd to get their lamb, to choose their lamb. It was lamb selection day. They're all choosing their lamb. The very day the families would be selecting their blameless lamb, Jesus presents himself the blameless Passover lamb, not just for a family, but for the world. So you put this prophetic and cultural and biblical and practical and really all these revelations together, and it's as Jesus is declaring from the donkey, are you looking for your sacrificial Passover lamb? 
it's me. You're looking to go choose your, your, your Passover lamb? I've been chosen. I am the blameless Passover lamb that has been chosen to be slain on Passover to take away the sins. Jesus had a specific mission and it always led to the, to the, to the cross. And for some of us, on Lamb Selection Day, Messiah Selection Day, we want to choose one that, that gives us success. That's the Jesus I want to follow. I want to follow the one that's going to give me the prosperity and the success. For some of us on Lamb Selection Day, we want to choose the one that, that, that may lead us to our political agenda. It doesn't matter what side you're on. Come on. Maybe on Lamb Selection Day, we want a Jesus that, that fits our cultural or our social agenda, what it looks like. And, and the reality is, each of us has a glorious disappointment coming up, if that's the case. A glorious disappointment, because Jesus always leads to a cross. And at the cross, that's where all the agendas I had for him politically, financially, emotionally, socially, culturally, even religiously, die at the foot of the cross. Because he came to glorify the Father. He came to save and seek out the lost, to die for your sin, and he wants to lead you into a new life. No matter what version of Jesus you think you're following, the safety, the success, the happiness, whatever it would be, just know he's leading you to a cross of sacrifice. And in that disappointment when he doesn't come through like the way you wanted, you get a chance to see the real Jesus. And your faith gets a chance to re-engage on the reality of a revolutionary rabbi who said, hey, Come follow me. Come follow me. And I'll give you life and life to the full. And at the foot of that cross, when, when those messiahs that we thought we were following fail us, that's where we lay down our agendas and we pick up our cross and we give our life to him and we begin to live according to his will and his agenda. You see, the triumphal entry confronts us with a big question. Who do you believe Jesus is? Which Messiah am I putting my faith in? And as we go into communion, which is the very symbol of, of the death of Jesus, the cross where he went to die, we need to ask and look at what Savior we're following. And, and here's a way to diagnose it. Where have you been most disappointed in God? Where was it that he didn't come through for you and that tragedy happened? And you were following a safety Savior. Where was it where the success didn't happen, the prosperity you thought was promised? Where was it where um, you're going through things that just don't make you very happy and you thought Jesus wanted to come and make you happy? Where those symptoms are, where you see that disappointment in God, follow that back and it will reveal to you the Savior that you are following. But know that Jesus, the real Jesus, leads to a cross of sacrifice of laying down our lives. And there are times I've been guilty of this. I believed in my heart God's primary mission was to protect me and make me happy. And when I got, un when, when things broke, my life broke down and happiness fled, I had to totally relook at Jesus that I'm following. It was a terrible, terrible, glorious disaster of finding the real Jesus at the, in the midst of it. It's important that we sing Hosanna to the true Jesus. So my question is today, will you, would you engage in a prayer with me? I'm gonna pray a triumphal entry prayer. And when, and when you engage in a prayer with somebody, you don't just listen, you yes it. 
You, you, you yes it in your heart, in your mind, with your lips, however you want to do it, but you, we're all in, engaged in this. And so let's pray. We say, Jesus, we give you permission to enter our hearts in a triumphal way. We give you glory because you are the king. You are the savior. And we as a church, as your, as your forgiveness for the places we have expected, we as your church, we ask your forgiveness for the places that we have expected you to bring us safety or success or personal happiness. We repent of that. We want to follow the real Jesus. We want to be like you, Jesus, because we know that someday you're coming back as the conquering king. But we pray until that day that we, the orchard, would be a people who are seen pointing to the real Savior and living in such a way, loving God and loving people, that others see the real Savior. So we as one people today declare Jesus Christ, you are head of this church, you are our savior, and we follow you. Jesus, the blameless lamb of God, he rode in, uh, he rode in on Passover lamb selection day. And just like those lambs, days from this teaching, he's gonna be sacrificed. But if you're along for our John journey, not yet. We got some amazing insights ahead. And as we go into communion, take a few minutes to reaffirm your faith in the authentic Jesus and and deal with those moments where you have been so disappointed because he didn't come through the way that you thought he needed to. And know that he's there to come through for you in a way that you can't even imagine. And then I want us to stand and sing. This, the, the song we're going to sing is, I make the band play this more than they want. It's my, one of my favorite songs. It's my anthem. It says, Jesus is better. I'm all about Jesus. And it says that, and it talks about this. Even in my sorrow, he's better. Even in my success, he's better. And no matter what I go through, whatever life brings me, Jesus, the true saving Jesus is better. And so Orchard, let's have a moment to, to pray uh, with the Spirit. And then let us sing and let us sing with our hearts and yell Hosanna to a Savior who saves. Amen.